Hi, you're listening to Tales from the Jungle, Living with Addiction. This is a podcast written and produced by a mom of an addict, specifically for other families who live with and or interact with an addicted family member. Hey, did you notice the title of the episode? And did you guess the singer? Then you're probably a fan of the 80s, just like me. That's where I got the, the name for this episode. And my research on addiction has come from life lessons, information from any television show I can find, and years of living with addiction in the addiction community with my daughter, Casey. While these are my lessons and listeners may have different variations, I've found that there's a common thread among many who live with this disease, and it's helpful to keep reminding ourselves how to navigate around. Welcome back, Jungle fans. I recently watched the movie Four Good Days, and it made me think about life lessons I've learned through this process. These aren't necessarily secrets, but I don't know that these can be found all in one place. While it's a lot to take in, I thought it would be helpful to have a resource and have them all in one place. And the good thing about podcasts is that you can listen to them again and again whenever you want or need. Now, if you want, you can grab a pen, but buckle up, and here it goes. Okay, number one, never be more invested in an addict's recovery than they are. If you've been living with an addict for any length of time, it should become pretty evident whether who's the one that's most invested in getting better. Is it Uh, a parent or a sibling wanting it so much for the addict that they don't have to do anything themselves. They can sit back and say, hey, they want it for me. I don't have to want it for myself. I don't have to do any of the work because anything I mess up or do, they're going to do for me. And once you get more invested, it almost seems to take away their motivation for wanting to get better. And it's interesting because in my experience, the addicts that I found that were most motivated, the ones who really wanted to get well, were number one, ones with kids that they had a reason to get well for. And number two, the ones who had no one to do anything for them. They had to do it all on their own. And they had gotten to the point where they were going to make this work. And those were the most successful ones that I found. And I realized that as long as I keep doing for Casey instead of her doing for herself and instead of her wanting it for herself, she's never going to want it enough. And so I had to stop that, definitely. Secret number two, never, ever give an addict cash. Now, this shouldn't be a secret by now. It seems like anytime anyone talks about addiction, they're always saying, don't give cash. And don't do anything that frees up their resources so that they can spend it on drugs. Don't pay their rent if they have the means to earn the money to, 
to pay the rent because they'll just use their own money on drugs because you're paying the rent. Now, this is tried and true all along. Everyone knows don't give an addict cash, but it has to be said because we're. I'm trying to do a complete list. And so this, of course, belongs on it. Okay, secrets three and four. These actually probably could have been combined into one, but then I wouldn't have had 20 as an even number, which sounds a lot better. So I made them separate. Number three is don't lie to conceal their actions. And number four is let them reap the consequences of their actions. Obviously, they're not reaping the consequences of their actions if you're lying for them, first of all. Second of all, it's not a good role model to, to be for them if you're lying for them. And I don't care how serious it is. I don't care what it is they've done. They need to feel those consequences with every single thing they do. And you lying about it, all that does is show them that they can pretty much get away with anything because in the bottom line, if they you think it's serious enough, you're going to lie for them. And they don't need to be accountable for anything that's serious. And that's really not a good place for them because it also shows them that you don't believe that they can do things on their own and they aren't able to man up really and, and take accountability for what they do. Secret number five, learn and understand about enabling. It can take so many forms. And if you need a refresher, I did an earlier episode on the topic of enabling. But every time you see it, it can look different. So you really need to learn the concept of what enabling is. And it probably looks different for you than anyone else. And so at some point in time, if you reflect on your actions and how it worked with Casey, you should be able to start being able to spot when you're enabling and when you're actually working with her in a healthy way. And sometimes the exact same actions, as I've mentioned before, can be enabling in one instance and not in another. And so it's super important to really get a handle on what the consequences are when you act in certain ways that that tend to enable whoever it is that's an addict in your family. Secret number six live your own life, disconnect, find interests, find hobbies, find things that you enjoy. It's really hard to concentrate on things that you like to do and what's going on because it feels like every day is life and death. There's always some emergency and always a crisis going on. And you have to let that go. It's not your crisis. It's theirs. And You can help them from time to time, but you cannot be trying to live that for them, cure that for them, do whatever. You need to have your own space and time. Read books, do yoga, take a walk, be whatever you need to be to live your life and start enjoying it again. It's super important. And I have other other ideas later on in my list that might help you with this concept. Secret number seven, don't take their lying and manipulations personally. It's the disease talking. For many addicts, the disease makes them 
do and say whatever it is they need to do and say in order to get more drugs, whether it's lying, manipulating, or whatever it is. And if it's in their personality to do that anyway, they'll probably be really good at it. And that doesn't mean that when they get clean and sober that the lying and manipulations go away. They may not. But there's a reason in their personality that they've used it. They've used it for a strategy to either protect themselves, maybe from shame, maybe from hurt. It could be a lot of different things, but it's not something personal about you and you can't take it personally. If you stop reacting to it in that way, it will create a better communication arena for the two of you to have a dialogue. Secret number eight is somewhat of a continuation of secret number seven, because there will always be lying and manipulation and as much as possible, avoid confronting the lies. You can use the knowledge in the future to know, okay, are they in a tendency to lie right now? Is Should I be guarding myself? Should I be more careful? All of that's really good information, but if you confront them on lying, they will many times do one of two things. They'll either retreat and not talk, or they will um, get very abusive and go directly to anger and confrontation and actually become indignant that you're questioning them, that there's no reason for you to question them. They'll come up with a million different ways that this has happened. Their lies get to be very entangled. And usually at some point in time, they just can't keep track of all the lies they've told. And it becomes so obvious that they are lying, but they will never, ever admit it. And so confronting them does absolutely nothing except for create a bigger rift between you and them. And that's not going to help the situation. Secret number nine, don't hold on to old hurts. Learn to forgive so that you can move on. Really, when you forgive someone, it's more for you than it is for them. It's many times the addict won't care that you forgave them if they're in their addiction. They will if they're sober, but if they're in their addiction, they're not going to care that you forgive them or not, and they'll just see it as a pass in order to keep doing things. So if you forgive them, you may not even want to tell them you've forgiven them. That's that's totally up to you. But you need to forgive them so that you can permanently let it go. And that's what forgiveness, true forgiveness is acknowledging what's been done and understanding that you're saying, I forgive you and I'm going to let it go, which means not bringing it up in future arguments. It means not referring to it ever again. And it means not thinking about it in the future, acting as if not as if it didn't happen because you need to sometimes remember the lessons you've learned from it, but that you are no longer feeling that hurt because you have forgiven. And that's the best part of forgiveness is that that takes away the sting of the hurt. Number 10, try not to be judgmental. And I know that's so much easier said than done. Many times it's the disease, as I've said before, and the things they do are so hurtful. There's, if they took your wedding ring, they took your most cherished possessions and pawned them like they were nothing. 
And how hurtful is that? But you can't go back and judge them. They have so much shame as it is. They are, you'd be amazed how much shame they carry around with them. But their anger and hostility many times is because of that shame. They're trying to mask it and don't want anyone to know. They are so embarrassed and so ashamed of what they're doing. But that shame keeps them from getting well. And so doing anything to increase that shame will not be helping them to get the recovery that they need. And it's not going to be helping you because you're never going to get them to admit that they did something wrong or that they took it or whatever. You're never going to get to a place that even if they did, it's not going to feel anything other than still hurtful. It it just keeps compounding. So you have to find a way in order to deal with a situation that's not judgmental and just talk about it and try to figure out some strategies to not put yourself in that situation again. If you have, if you've prepared and you've taken precautions and done things in advance to be well prepared in things that they say and to keep them from being able to have access to anything, cars, credit cards, jewelry, any of those things, then the chances of them being able to do something are a lot less. But you have to really figure out those strategies in advance and put them in place and make sure that they're always in place and never make exceptions. It's those exceptions that create the worst of the situations. Secret number 11. If the situation is too tense, take a breather. It could be an hour, a day, or a few days. But don't continue a conversation where it's escalating and ready to get out of hand. Just take a pause. If they're saying no, it has to be decided now, then you definitely know that you need a breather because the more they want to force you into making an immediate decision, the worse the decision process usually is. It's so much better to be able to sit back and evaluate, am I enabling? Is this the proper thing at the proper time? Is it something they need to do for themselves? And if they've put themselves into the situation where they don't have time to wait, they've done that to themselves. And there's nothing you can do about that other than they'll learn that when they contact you and they need something, they're going to have to wait and give you a chance to evaluate and see if you can do it for them. And it'll be a learning process for them and that it'll be a difficult one because they're going to scream and holler and be super upset because you won't give them an answer right now. But that's just how it has to be in order to start the process. And that may help them mature a little bit but there's no guarantees. Okay, I'm going to stop here, but that doesn't mean I'm done. I just want to be able to take enough time with each of these to be able to explain it in a way that makes the most sense. Now, some of you may be thinking, oh, well, some of these things I've never heard before, where'd that come from? Well, some of them actually are from my experience, and this is what I found, and that seems to work for me. It may or may not work for you, but it just seems to match all the different scenarios that I've heard from other people as well. And so while they might not be ones that are on the Dr. Phil show or somewhere else, they seem to be the ones that make the most sense for me, and I keep trying to remind myself of them.
So what I'm going to do is I'm going to come back in one week and finish out the list. And hopefully this is helpful so that you can um, make a list for yourself and, and get yourself on the right track where you're in a healing mode. As always, if you find this helpful, please leave a review at your local podcast site. And if you want to talk about any of these or have any questions, you can always reach me on Twitter and I'm at Chelsea's Jungle. Thanks so much. And I will talk to you next week. Music is Riding the Dragon by Movie Theater.